Chapter Ten of the Little Colonel's Christmas Vacation by Annie Fellows Johnston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Chapter Ten, The Dungeon of Disappointment. It was nearly noon when Lloyd wakened next morning. Her head ached and she wondered dully how anybody could feel lively enough to sing as aunt cindy was doing somewhere back in the servants quarters the sound of a squeaking wheelbarrow had wakened her alec was trundling it around the house with a parrot perched on it the parrot loved to ride and its silly laugh at every jolt of the squeaking barrow usually amused lloyd but to-day its harsh chatter annoyed her oh dear she groaned sitting up in bed and yawning i feel as if i could sleep for a week i wouldn't get up at all if it wasn't for kate mallet's party i hate this day after christmas feeling as if the bottom had dropped out of everything she dressed slowly and went downstairs where's mother mom beck she asked pausing in the dining-room door the old colored woman was arranging flowers for the lunch-table she's done gone over to rollington honey with the old colonel walker's mother is sick and sent for him i'm looking for him to come home any minute now come right along in honey i'll keep your breakfast good not i don't want anything to eat i'm not hungry now i'd rather wait till lunch where's betty mom beck now listen to that ejaculated the old woman sharply don't you remember she went off on the early train this morning to that place you calls the cuckoo's nest i packed a satchel before daylight i'd forgotten she was going exclaimed lloyd turning to the window with a discontented expression which only the snowbirds on the lawn could see she had come downstairs expecting to talk over all the happenings of the previous day with betty and to find her gone gave her a vague sense of injury she knew the feeling was unreasonable but she could not shake it off the flash of the new ring gave her a momentary pleasure but she was in a mood that nothing could please her long when she strolled into the drawing-room everything was in spotless order and so quiet that the stillness was oppressive even the fire burned with a steady noiseless glow without the usual crackle and the ashes fell on the hearth with velvety softness some of her new books lay on a side table she picked them up and glanced through them catching at a paragraph here and there but one after another she laid them down she was not in a mood for reading then she took a candied date from the bonbon dish but it seemed to lack its usual flavor after nibbling each end she threw it into the fire slipping her new opera glass from its case she went to the window and turned the lens on the distant entrance gate the road in each direction seemed deserted so she put the glass back in its case and after strolling restlessly around the room walked over to the harp and struck a few chords it's all out of tune she exclaimed fretfully 
thrumming the faulty string with impatient fingers. Everything seems out of tune this morning. As she spoke, the string broke with a sudden harsh twang that made her jump. She was so startled that the tears came to her eyes, and so nervous that she flung herself face downward on the pillows of the long Persian divan and began sobbing hysterically. The strain of the last few weeks had been too much for her. Miss Gilmer's prophecy had come true. The eyes had given away under the extra weight put upon it. She was sobbing so hard that she did not hear the sound of carriage wheels rolling softly up the avenue through the snow, and when the front door banged shut, she startled again and began trembling as she had done when the harp-string broke. She was crying convulsively now, so hard that she could not stop, although she clenched her fists and bit her lips in a strong effort to regain self-control. Mrs. Sherman, her face all aglow from the cold drive, and looking almost girlishly fair in her big hat with the plumes and her dark furs, hurried in to the fire. The colonel, throwing back his scarlet-lined cape, pushed aside the portiere for her to enter. He was the first to catch sight of the shaking form on the divan. "'Why, Lloyd, child, what's the matter?' he demanded anxiously what's the matter with grandpa's little girl mrs sherman with a frightened expression hurried to her and bending over her tried to get a glimpse of the tear-swollen face buried so persistently in the cushions nothing's happened no i'm not sick came in smothered tones from the depths of the pillows it's just just crying itself and i i i can't can't stop a long shiver passed over her and mrs sherman stroking her forehead with a soothing hand waited for her to grow quiet before plying her with questions but the old colonel paced impatiently back and forth the child must be sick he declared she'll be coming down with a fever or something if we don't take vigorous measures to prevent it i shall telephone for dick shelby this minute he started toward the hall, but a wild wail from Lloyd stopped him. I won't have the doctor. I'm not sick, and you shan't send for him. I ju just cried because the harp-string broke so suddenly that it, it scared me. The colonel paused and looked at her in amazement. Not since the time when she, a five-year-old child, had flung a handful of mud over his white clothes had she spoken to him in such a defiant tone he answered soothingly as if she were still that little child to be coaxed into good behaviour oh yes you won't mind the doctor's coming if grandpa wants him to he'll keep you from getting down sick and spoiling all the rest of your vacation i'll just ask him to step up and look at you no don't demanded lloyd as he started again toward the hall no you shan't she insisted springing up and stamping her foot i won't have the old doctor and i won't take any of his nasty old medicine he'll make me stay home from katie's party this afternoon and from the matinee tomorrow and there's nothing the matter only i'm cross and nervous and the more you bother me the harder it is to stop crying 
Then, ashamed of her petulant outburst, she threw her arms around his neck and sobbed on his shoulder. In the end, she had her own way for the glass of hot milk which her mother sent for as soon as she found Lloyd had eaten no breakfast, soothed her overstrung nerves. A brisk walk to the post office in the bracing December air gave her an appetite for luncheon. Then she slept again until time to dress for Katie's party, so that when the old colonel watched her start off, she looked so bright and was in such buoyant spirits that he wondered vaguely if her crying spell could have been the remnant of some childish tantrum instead of the forerunner of an illness. He banished a thought instantly from his loyal old heart, ashamed of having applied such a word as tantrum to anything Lloyd might choose to do. Of course she had felt ill, he told himself, so wretched that she hadn't known what she was saying when she stormed at him so angrily. He resolved to watch her closely and take matters in his own hands if she showed any more alarming symptoms. There was a matinee next day in Louisville, to which Mrs. Sherman took all the girls in the neighborhood. That was the end of the Christmas gaieties for Lloyd. Dr. Shelby was at Locust on her return. He came out of the old colonel's den, where he had been sitting for several hours, deep in a game of chess, and found her shivering in front of the fire with a nervous chill, sobbing hysterically. She stormed at him almost as she had done at her grandfather, protesting that she was only tired and nervous, and that she would be all right as soon as she had had her cry out. But she submitted meekly when he ordered her mother to put her to bed. The old doctor had always indulged her, but there was a sternness in his manner now that made her obey him. He called to see her the next day and the next but his visits did not seem like professional ones. There was nothing said about medicine or symptoms. He only asked her about school and the good times she had been having and the extra studying she had been doing. Then he sat and joked and talked with her and her mother, as had been his habit ever since Lloyd could remember. The third afternoon she was down in the drawing-room when he came. "'We'll soon be having Miss Hollyberry back again,' he said playfully, pinching her pale cheek. "'And without taking any nasty old medicine,' she answered. "'I don't mind doctors when they can cure people without giving them pills and powders.' The colonel looked up sharply. "'What's that?' he asked. "'Haven't you been giving her anything, Dick? It seems to me the child would get along faster if she had a good tonic.' i'm going to prescribe one this morning the doctor answered that's what i came up for he laughed at the look of disgust on lloyd's face it isn't bad he assured her with an indulgent smile why i know dozens of girls who would say that the tonic i'm going to prescribe is the most agreeable that could be given i've even had them beg for it that is it simply to lengthen your christmas vacation didn't i hear a certain young lady wishing the other night that she could stretch hers out indefinitely lloyd's dimples deepened how much longer will you make it a week if i stay out much longer than that it will be such hard work to catch up with my classes that the game won't be worth the candle 
but i would make it so long that there would be no necessity of having to catch up as you call it you could simply make a fresh start in a new class lloyd looked up in alarm when she demanded um well next fall let us say he answered deliberately yes surely by the time you'll be well and sound as a new dollar next fall she gasped her face growing white and her eyes strangely big and dark you don't mean you couldn't mean that i must leave school yes that's exactly what i mean you are overtaxing yourself and must stop oh i can't interrupted lloyd speaking very fast i won't it's cruel to ask it when i worked so hard to keep from falling behind betty and the girls oh you don't know what it means to me the old doctor looked up in amazement at this unexpected outburst no he answered slowly after a moment's silence i don't suppose i do i had no idea it would be a disappointment to you i would gladly save you from it if i could but listen to me my little girl and try to be reasonable you are on the verge of a nervous breakdown nothing can mean as much to you as your health what will keeping up with the other girls amount to if the strain and the overtaxing makes an invalid of you for life perhaps mind you i am not saying that the work itself is too great a tax madame chartley's is one of the best regulated schools i have ever inquired into ordinarily a girl ought to be able to take the course with perfect ease but you see that little spell of la grippe left you weak and unfit for any extra strain and instead of easing up a bit you went on piling up all that extra load of lessons and christmas preparations and vacation dissipations it was like trying to walk on a broken foot the more you tried the worse it got the mischief is done now and there is no remedy but to stop short off lloyd sat very still for a moment staring out of the window in a dazed unseeing way as if not fully understanding all he said then she turned with a piteous appeal in her face to mrs sherman mother it isn't so is it i won't have to give up school now you wouldn't make me would you when you know how i love it oh it will nearly kill me if you do please say no mother please mrs sherman's eyes were full of tears my poor little girl she exclaimed as lloyd threw herself into her arms i'm afraid we must do as the doctor says he would not ask such a sacrifice if it were not necessary you know how dearly he has always loved you without waiting to hear any more lloyd sprang up and ran out of the room rushing upstairs she bolted her door behind her and threw herself across the bed it is the first great disappointment she has ever had in her life said her mother looking after her with a troubled face couldn't you make the sentence a little easier doctor couldn't she go back and take one study just to be with the girls he shook his head no elizabeth she is too ambitious and high-strung for that one study wouldn't satisfy her she'd chaff at not being able to keep up in everything she has nothing serious the matter with her now but it would not take long to make a wreck of her health at the gate she has been going 
There must be no more parties, no more regular schoolwork, and even no more music lessons this winter. She must have the simplest kind of a life. Keep her out of doors all you can. A little prevention now will be worth pounds of cure after a while. I suppose you're right, Dick, said the old colonel huskily. But I swear I'd give the only arm the Yankees left me to save her from this disappointment. Lying across the bed upstairs, Lloyd cried and sobbed until she was exhausted. The handkerchief clutched in her hand in a damp little ball had wiped away all the bitterest tears she had ever shed. In her innermost heart she knew that the doctor was right. It had been weeks since she had felt strong and well. She remembered the way she had lagged behind at the picnic, and what an effort it had been to talk and make herself agreeable lately. Recalling the last few weeks, it seemed to her that she had been in tears half the time. She admitted to herself that she would rather be dead than to be an invalid for life, like her great Aunt Jane. To sit always in a darkened room that smelled of camphor, and to talk in weak, complaining voice that made everybody tired. Of course, if there was danger of her growing to be like her, she would rather leave school than run such a risk. But why? oh why was she forced to make such a choice the other girls didn't have to she had done no more than they to bring about such a state of affairs they could go back to dear old warwick hall but she would have to stay behind and she would always be behind for even if she went back with them another year it couldn't be the same they would have done so much in the meantime gone on so far ahead, made new friends and found new interests, and she would have to drop back in the class below and never, never stand on the same footing with them again. It was so hard, so cruel that she should have to face a blighted life at only fifteen. She unlocked the door presently at her mother's knock, but she didn't want to be comforted. Nothing anybody could say could change things, she sobbed, or make the disappointment any easier to bear. So Mrs. Sherman wisely withdrew and left her to fight it out alone. The next time she peeped into the room, Lloyd was asleep, worn out with the violence of her grief, so she tiptoed downstairs, leaving the door ajar behind her. The colonel was pacing up and down the library. "'I declare I can't think of anything but that child's disappointment,' he exclaimed as she came in. "'I can't read. I can't settle down to anything. I have been trying to think of some pleasure we could give her to make up for it in a way. A winter in Florida, maybe? Poor baby, if I could only bear it for her, how glad I would be to do it. Mrs. Sherman picked up a bit of needlework from the table, where she had left it, and sitting down by the window began to hemstitch. I don't know, Papa, she said slowly, but I am beginning to fear that we have done too much of that for Lloyd, smoothed the difficulties out of her way too much, made things too easy. We've fairly held our arms around her to shield her not only from harmful things, but from even trifling unpleasantness. 
maybe if she had had to face the smaller disappointments that most children have to bear the greater ones would not seem so overwhelming she could have met this more bravely the colonel sniffed impatiently all foolishness elizabeth all foolishness that may be the case with ordinary children but not with such a sweet unspoiled nature as lloyd's it was nearly dark when lloyd wakened she heard kitty's voice down in the hall asking to see her and gay's exclamation of surprise and regret at something her mother said in a low voice she knew that she was telling them the doctor's decision then mom beck tapped at the door to ask if she would see the girls a while but she sent her away with a mournful shake of the head she was too miserable even to speak the low murmur of voices went on for some time it grew loud enough for her to distinguish the words when the girls came out into the hall again to take their departure lloyd raised herself on her elbow to listen kitty was telling something that had happened that afternoon at the candy pool from which they were just returning a wan smile flitted across lloyd's face in sympathy with the merry laugh that floated up the stairs but it faded the next instant as she whispered bitterly that's the way it will always be they will go on having good times without me and they'll get so they'll never even miss me i'll be left out of everything there's nothing left to look forward to any more oh it's all so dark and gloomy i know now how edidin felt for i'm just like he was walled up in a dreadful dungeon of disappointment the fancy pleased her so that she went on making herself miserable with it long after the door closed behind kitty and gay over and over she pictured warwick hall which just then seemed the most desirable place in all the world she could see the shining river as she had watched it so many times from her window floating past the stately terraces between its willow-fringed banks she could hear the breezy summons of the hunter's horn calling the girls to rambles over the wooded hills or through the quaint old garden she could see the sun streaming into the south windows of the english room with a class gathered around miss chilton eager and interested all the dear delightful round of inspiring work and play would go on day after day for the others but it would go on without her henceforth she would be left out of everything pleasant and worth while she would not go down to dinner she could not take such a puffed here swollen face to the table to make everybody else unhappy and she couldn't throw off her despondent mood maybe in a few days she thought she might be able to hide her feelings sufficiently to appear in public but it would always be with a secret sorrow gnawing at her heart just now she shrank from sympathy and she didn't want any one to cheer her up it did not seem possible that she could ever smile again and she wasn't sure that she wanted to mom beck brought up the daintiest of dinners on a tray but carried it back almost untasted as soon as she was gone 
Lloyd undressed and crept into bed. Sleep was far from her, however, and she lay with her eyes wide open. The room was full of soft shadows and the flicker of firelight on the furniture. She could think of only one thing, and she brooded over that until it seemed to her feverish, disordered fancy that her disappointment was the greatest that any one had ever been forced to bear. Why couldn't it have happened to some girl who didn't care? She thought bitterly. Some girl like Maud Minor, who doesn't like school anyhow. It doesn't seem fair when I've tried my best to do exactly right, to leave a road of the loving heart in everybody's memory, to keep the tryst. That brought a fresh reason for grief. There was the string of pearls. Now she could not finish her little white rosary. The fire flared up and shone brilliantly for a few moments, lighting a group of pictures over her bed. They were the photographs she had taken in Arizona. There was Ware's wigwam. The firelight was not bright enough to enable her to read the lines Joyce had written under it, but she knew the inscription was the Ware family's motto taken from the vicar of Wakefield. Let us be inflexible, and fortune will at last change in our favor. A shadow of a smile actually came to her lips as she remembered Mary Ware gravely explaining it. Why, even Norman knows that if you'll swallow your sobs and stiffen when you bump your head on anything, it doesn't hurt half as bad as if you just let loose and howl. And there was the photograph of old Camelback Mountain, bringing back the story of Sharper, left helpless on the sands of the desert of waiting, while the caravan passed on without him to the city of his desire. She remembered that when she hung it over her bed, she had thought, If ever I come to such a place, this will help me to bear it patiently. Then she thought of Joyce, how bravely and uncomplainingly she had met her disappointment. Not only had she left school and given up her ambition to be an artist, but she had had to give up the old home she loved, all her friends and everything that made her girlhood bright to go out into the lonely desert and work like a squaw. The thought of Joyce brought back all the lessons she had learned in the school of the bees, but she sighed presently. Oh, dear, all those things sounded so nice and comforting when they seemed meant for other people. They don't seem so comforting now that I'm in trouble myself. It's like the poultice Aunt Cindy made for Walker's toothache. She was disgusted because he didn't stop complaining right away and said it ought to have cured him if it didn't. But it wasn't such a powerful remedy when she had the toothache herself. She grumbled more than Walker. It's all well enough to say that I'll seal up my trouble as the bees seal up the things that get into the cells to spoil their honey. But now the time is here. I simply can't. Nevertheless, what the school of the bees taught did help. So did the sight of the patient old Camelback Mountain that had inspired the legend of Sharper. And more than all the little group 
in front of the wigwam helped as she remembered how bravely they had met their troubles one by one her happy arizona days came back to her after all it was something to have lived fifteen beautiful years untouched by trouble she was thankful for that much even if the future held nothing more for her if she couldn't be happy she could at least take mary's advice and not let loose and howl about it any more if she couldn't be bright and cheerful she could swallow her sobs and stiffen with the resolution to try mary's remedy for her woes in the morning she lay drowsily watching the firelight flicker across the picture of the wigwam End of chapter 10 Read by Lars Rolander